Father Dennis asked me in the sacristy what the theme of my homily would be so you know he could include some something in the opening prayer to connect it and um, you know I told him and he did such a good job connecting my homily that you know I think I, I wrote an introduction I just rather use his prayer than my own introduction it was fantastic right so anyway what I'd like to talk about today is the miracle that is sacred scripture, that is the word of God. How essential is it is to us understanding God's mission and our place in it, what God has promised to do and what he does accomplish in us through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I want to emphasize that it's essential for us to listen, read, and pray with the word of God and to obey, share, and share it with others, to understand it, and to help others to understand the relationship God is calling us to. So I think it's helpful to see how Matthew is leading up to what we heard today in the Beatitudes. What's happening in Matthew's gospel and to the point that we get today in the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount? How he gets there? and why it's impactful, and, and why it's new and refreshing. So here we go. Today's passage is from the beginning of chapter 5 in Matthew's Gospel. It's the start of the Sermon on the Mount, which continues through chapters 5 through 7. For the next three weeks, and even on Ash Sunday, we'll be reading from, uh, from those Gospels. So Matthew has to make a case for Jesus, right? He tends to be re, uh, writing to a Jewish audience, and he's trying to make the case that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, Jews would have trouble with this, right? They would have trouble that uh, we're calling, the early Christians are referring to Jesus as the Son of God. How could God have a son? God is one. Jews were monotheists like we are. They didn't understand the, the doctrine of the Trinity yet. So he goes about doing this by pointing out what happened in the Old Testament, Old Testament prophecies and typologies. He does, for example, he goes through the genealogy of Jesus and shows that Jesus, that Joseph descends from the line of David and that Jesus comes from the line of David. The Messiah is promised in the Old Testament to come from the line of David. He also shows that God, Jesus is God's son. You remember the, the, the encounter with Joseph and the angel. The angel says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he cites the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall bear a son, and his name shall become Emmanuel. We just heard these in Advent. Emmanuel, God is with us. He shows a prophecy from 700, seven centuries before Jesus is being fulfilled at this time. He makes the case that Jesus is the new Adam. So these typologies in the Old Testament, Adam and Moses, for example, they're types of Jesus. Jesus fulfills or makes right what those people in the, in the Old Testament did or said. So Jesus is the new Adam, the temptation in the desert. In chapter 4, Adam's failure to resist the temptation of Satan ushered in sin, suffering, and death. Jesus resists temptation, and through his life, death, and resurrection, 
renews and saves all of humanity. Jesus teaches during this encounter with, David, with Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God is essential. The word of God has been given to us in sacred scripture. In today, today's gospel, we see Jesus as the new Moses. So Moses received the law. You may remember the story, right? He goes up Mount Sinai, and he receives the Ten Commandments from God and comes down from the mountain. In the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus ascends the mountain. And not to receive the law, but to give new teaching. And only God can do that. So what's so new about this law? Jesus calls his disciples then, 2,000 years ago, and now to a new way of life based on the transformation of one's heart. That's what's new about it. Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy. God speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah centuries before Jesus says this. See, days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will be not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They broke my covenant, though I was their master. But this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will place my law within them and write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is going to write his ways. The prophet Jeremiah promises God will write his ways on our hearts. He'll make it possible for us to be transformed by grace. Jesus brings through his brings us the Holy Spirit eventually, right? Through his after his death and ascension. God promises a restored renewed relationship and Jesus makes that happen for those who receive, believe, love and obey him. So each beatitude begins with the word blessed. And scholars tell us that the original Greek word for blessed could be translated happy or lucky. Not in an emotional state, necessarily, but in terms of being in a fortunate situation. So let's take a look at three or four of those, blessed, those uh, beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I, I rely on Bishop Barron here for a reliable source to kind of interpret what each of these mean. How lucky you are if you are not addicted to mere material things. Here Jesus is telling us how to realize our deepest desire, which is the desire for God, not for passing things that only bring temporary comfort. Blessed are they who mourn. How lucky you are if you are not addicted to good feelings. See, doing the will of God sometimes calls us to make great sacrifices and accept enormous pain. But when we're free from the dependence on good feelings, we can respond to God's call. We're liberated to do whatever God calls us to do in whatever life demands. Blessed are the meek. One of the greatest seductions in the world is power. 
But what we ought to do is forget about worldly power so that the power of the will of God will act in us and reign in us and guide us. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. How lucky you are if you're not addicted to the approval of others, to the opinions of other people. Freedom and joy comes from living this way. So what Matthew is doing, he's making the case that the Messiah has come, that God is indeed with us, and that there's something new here. And there's a, a way that we can live in relationship with God that's entirely new, that is freeing, liberating, and gives us the opportunity to be joyful in this life and certainly in the next. The wisdom of our culture sees achieving wealth, honor, pleasure, and power as the road to happiness. Jesus says, think again. Those things only enslave us and never truly satisfy us. Surrendering our lives to Jesus and his will is looked upon as foolishness by some. But as St. Paul told us today, God chose the foolish to shame the wise. And more still, in next week's gospel, so we're still in the Sermon on the Mount next week, the Lord says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Your light must shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. The Beatitudes and, in fact, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount express the heart and mind of Jesus, and we, his disciples, are called to be his heart in this world. God also promises through the prophet Zephaniah in the first reading, I will leave a remnant in your midst, people humble and lowly who will take refuge in the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we're called to be that remnant in our culture. We're called to be that light, that heartbeat, the heartbeat of Christ in our culture. We're called to bless this culture. Salt and light are the images Jesus uses. We need to shed light on what is good and true and beautiful in a world that's sinking ever more rapidly into darkness. That is the identity and the mission of the disciples of Christ, bearers of the word of Jesus. And it's not easy to accept and live out this calling, but Jesus doesn't ask us to do it alone. In last week's gospel, Jesus called the first disciples. Remember Andrew and Peter and James and John. He calls them to follow him. And then he says, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. And I think that's one of the key takeaways from this whole gospel reading today in, in this whole message of the Sermon on the Mount. Paul teaches us, St. Paul, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Jesus is teaching us that we can be something wholly new in relationship to God. We can be renewed and, and, and raised up to our original dignity as sons and daughters of God. And that, ha that transformation is a free gift from him through the work of the Holy Spirit. We just have to reach out, accept it, and surrender to it. Brothers and sisters, all people deserve to hear the word of God. We're called to bring it to them. 
All people are called to be blessed and to live in this fortunate situation, if you will, of being in relationship with Christ. So I encourage you all to perhaps this, as Lent approaches us, maybe consider learning the Word of God on a deeper level. We have many options in our church today to do that. This Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz, for a minute, for, for instance, or a catechism in a year if you want to use, learn more about the faith. We need to be able to know God's Word, have it penetrate and transform us, and to share it with other people, that they too may be blessed.